Thank you, Joe and Scott and Sherry, very much. I think God is praised and honored by our praise and worship of Him this morning. So thank you. Thank you for praising Him with us. Glad that you're here this morning. I hope that we can keep you a little bit cool, keep a little air moving, but we can't do much about it other than that. So hang in there and uh, use your worship folder as a fan. If you don't have one, you can get up and get one. That's totally cool. No problem. Totally cool. I didn't mean that. Pun was unintentional. Hey, um, I'm glad you're here this morning, and I have a question for you. For those of you who have children, or for those of you who have interacted with children, maybe you have siblings or brothers, uh, you have brothers and sisters, or maybe nieces and nephews that you interact with. Have you ever had a conversation with a child that just refuses to hear what you're saying? You ever had an interaction with a child that just, no matter how much you try to convey something to them, they're not hearing it because they're hung up on some other issue? There's something that they can't get past that keeps them from hearing what you're saying. Have you ever had that? I have never had that experience because my children are perfect. That's why I'm a pastor. But hypothetically speaking, imagine a conversation between a father and, say, his three-year-old daughter. There goes something like this. The father is trying to do something really good for his three-year-old daughter. He wants something good for her. He's saying, hey, we're all going to get in the car, and we're all going to go get ice cream. And all I need you to do is put on your shoes. Can you do that? But the daughter is already predisposed to not put on her shoes because she hates wearing shoes. And she has already worked herself up into such a fury over shoe wearing that she has decided this is a hill she's going to die on. She will not put shoes on. And the dad is trying to be patient and he's trying to convince her and he's trying to reason with her, use sound logic. Sweetie, we have to put shoes on because the world is a disgusting place filled with germs. And those germs could get on your feet if you don't have shoes. And then your hands might touch those feet, and then those germs would be on your hands. And at some point, your hands might touch your mouth, and that would be like licking the shoes of everyone in the world. And you don't want to lick everybody's shoes, do you? Wouldn't you rather have ice cream? Now, this is a hypothetical situation, but I... With this father, I just, I think his logic is sound. This logic makes sense to me. The point being, the dad can try to be reasonable and try to be helpful, and he can try to show all the reasons why this is a good thing and you should just do what I'm saying, but in the end, she's not going to put her shoes on. She refuses to do it, and she doesn't get ice cream. That's how the story ends. That's kind of where we are in the book of Acts. Now, I know that seems like a weird transition, but it's kind of true because we've said that the book of Acts is about watching people continuing the ministry of Jesus. Well, here's the story. God wanted to do something really good for us. He wanted us to have something really good, and he did that good thing through Jesus. And then we see Peter in the book of Acts continue the ministry of Jesus and try to convince people of the good thing that God had done and try to invite them into that. You say, you don't understand. God has done a good thing, and he's invited you into his family. And through Jesus, he paid the price of your sin so that you could be a part of the family of God, that you could be invited into his family and live 
eternal life with him as his child. The same message that we share today, the same hope that we cling to today as the followers of Jesus. And though we've seen thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ, thousands of people have become Christians as, as, they've been come to, as they have come to be known as Christians, followers of Jesus, we see more and more people reject that message and reject that truth. God's chosen people in particular, the Jews in particular, have become especially resistant to the story of Jesus, to the good thing that God has done for them. And in Acts, we see their opposition almost immediately. And we see that their opposition is constant, it's often violent, and it's increasing. And by the time we get to chapter 7 of Acts, we watch Stephen stoned to death for his faith in Christ. And Paul, who we know now later in Acts, was right there with them, standing there approving of the stoning of Stephen, violently opposed to the followers of Jesus, would not and could not be convinced otherwise. Zealous for God, he believed, pursuing the people who were following Jesus so that they would be stopped. And finally, God breaks in and says, Paul, you're not helping me, you're fighting against me. And now Paul, for the first time, he sees and he hears for himself that God has done a good thing through Jesus, and he gets it. We say, we want our kids to have a good thing. We want you to have ice cream. That's kind of what we're relating this to here this morning. I had a conversation with my oldest daughter about this, and she said, I think you're overstating it, Dad. Ice cream and a relationship with Jesus are not the same. You can't equate them. And I think she's right, and I think that makes me a good dad because she has good theology. That's sound, right? She gets it. But when Paul understands the bigger picture, once he gets out of this view and he sees the big picture of what God is doing, all of a sudden it changes everything. His life turns around completely because he gets it. And now he has this powerful, compelling, verifiable testimony of his encounter with Jesus Christ. There's a clear before and after in Paul's life, before his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus and after this encounter. And he spends the rest of his life telling the story of the good thing that God has done through Jesus. See, for generations and generations, God's people have cried out to him for a Savior. Rescue us. Save us. Send us the Messiah that we're waiting for. And then he did, and then they just violently rejected him. That's the story. Except that God wasn't done pursuing them. He sent Jesus, and then he sent Peter, and then he sent Paul, and countless others to try to tell them, to try to help them to see the bigger picture. Don't you see? If you just put on your shoes, you can have ice cream. But they just can't get past the shoes. Their hearts are becoming harder and harder and increasingly resistant to the gospel message, to the story that God is trying to tell. So this morning, we're well into Acts now. We're nearing the end. And this morning, what we're going to see is that even at the end of Paul's ministry, even toward the end, he is still desperate for his people to recognize the good thing that God has done for them. Because he knows that they're resistant and he knows that they're going to miss out. 
And the Jewish people on the whole are about to choose sides and they're about to choose poorly. So we're going to look into God's word this morning. And before we do, I would just ask if you would pray with me. Would you do that? Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the rain yesterday, unexpectedly. We thank you for your unexpected blessings of us, Lord. And we pray that you would be glorified and honored by our worship of you this morning. And we pray the same for our teaching of your word. Lord, we thank you that you are willing to forgive and to pursue even though we are resistant and we reject you. So we thank you that we serve such a loving and patient God. And Lord, would you prepare our hearts now to hear from your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible this morning, we have them here for you in the aisle. So if you want one and you want to read along, you just raise your hand. Or you get up and you can grab one here and we'll get one to you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we would love for you to have it. So you can take that home with you. Whether you get it now or at the end of the service, you're welcome to take that. That's our gift to you this morning. We're going to be just at the tail end of Acts chapter 21 where we left off last week. Starting in verse 37. If you're using our Bible, that's page 931 of the New Testament, way toward the back. Now, for those of you who were here last week, you'll remember that when we left our story, Paul was being beaten to death. So that's exciting. Do you remember that? Do you remember what was going on? The Jewish people are outraged over Paul. They're really upset, and they just drug him out of the temple, and they are literally trying to beat him to death because they believe that Paul is teaching against the Jewish people and against the law of Moses and against the temple. I find it interesting that in their accusation of Paul, there's no mention of God. They're not offended on behalf of God. They're offended on behalf of themselves, maybe on behalf of their religion, but it's not the same thing. It's important to remember that there are Jews who have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. James, last week, just told Paul there are thousands in Jerusalem alone thousands of Jews who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. So the problem is not that they're Jewish. The problem is that they have elevated their Jewishness and the temple and the law above God. Those things have now become more important to them than God. And in their zealousness to defend their religion, they have drowned out the voice of God. They can no longer hear him anymore. And Paul, of all people, gets that because he's been there Because he's been that guy, and he wants to help them see past it. He wants to help them see the bigger picture and the bigger story. So read with me, chapter 21, starting in verse 37. It says this, As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? Now, if you weren't here, Paul was being beaten up, and the Roman soldiers came and grabbed him and took him away. So he's being carried away by the Roman soldiers, and now he speaks up, for the first time. He says, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Then Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. We're reminded in this exchange that takes place between Paul and the tribune that the tribune still has no idea why Paul is being beaten to death. Remember, he couldn't get any answer from the crowd at all. 
because there's just too much chaos going on, so they take him away. So he's surprised when Paul speaks to him in Greek, because that's the language that he and his soldiers would speak. And he's kind of assumed that he is this Egyptian radical that they've been having a lot of trouble with in Jerusalem, but that's not true. And he speaks Greek, and we realize this is the first time that the Tribune has even heard Paul speak. Now, given the circumstances, that's not surprising because Paul has been busy being beaten up. And this is the first opportunity he's had to say anything. Now, if I'm the Tribune and Paul asks me if I can say something to the crowd, I'm curious enough to just say yes. Here's a guy being beaten to death by a group of people. I just drug him out of their midst. They're trying to tear him apart even as the soldiers are carrying him away. And Paul says, hey, can I say something to defend myself? I'm like, yeah, knock yourself out, Paul. I just want to hear what he's going to say. What I don't want us to lose in this moment is what has just happened to Paul. Because we can read this and we can just think of this as Paul getting up to stand in front of a group of people and talk to them and preach a sermon. Like he just showered and got ready for church and came and is talking to you right now. That's not what's happened. He just got beaten up a lot. He was beaten by people who wanted to kill him for a long time, long enough for word to get to the soldiers and then for the soldiers to get to Paul and rescue him. So I have a feeling Paul doesn't feel very well right now. He probably doesn't look very good either. It's possible he's having trouble breathing. I would imagine things are starting to swell up. He's probably bleeding from numerous places. An angry mob just beat him within an inch of his life, and Paul's not concerned about the fact that he can't see out of one eye or there's blood coming off of his head. He's concerned that he gets an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. I don't know if that bothers you at all or that convicts you at all, but I have a really hard time with that because I have a hard time talking to my neighbor about Jesus because I'm concerned he's going to think I'm some kind of a weirdo and I want my neighbors to like me. I'm not even sure they like me now because I don't actually spend that much time with my neighbors. I don't have this kind of heart of compassion for people like Paul has. He's like, wait, 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 just let me tell them about Jesus. And I just think as a church, we got to take some cues here from Paul. Look at this level of commitment. And I just have to think he'd be a little disappointed with my level of commitment to the sharing of the gospel. And I'm, I'm talking to myself, but I have a feeling I'm not the only one. Verse 40, chapter 21 says this, And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering the prisoners, both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of the elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus, to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul begins by speaking their own language, which is his too. 
And speaking to them respectfully, he says, brothers and fathers, he begins his defense by saying, you have to listen to what I have to say. And here's what I have to say. I was just like you, only better. That's not exactly what he says, but that's essentially what he says. I was just like you, but more so. Paul says, you're Jewish, I'm more Jewish. If that's a thing, I'd be more Jewish. I was born a Jew, born in a notable Jewish city, raised by a celebrity Jew who taught me everything that there is to know about following the law, and I followed the law strictly and carefully. I did all of those things. I followed the law of Moses because I was zealous for God. He says, just like you. I was just like you. He says, but I was even more zealous than you because I didn't just beat a guy up near the temple. I beat up lots of people. I persecuted Christians wherever I could find them, and I threw them in jail, and I had them beaten, and I even had them killed. I didn't care whether they were men or women. That's how much I cared about destroying the followers of Jesus because I was just as offended by this as you are. And you can ask anybody. He said, you can verify my story. Go ask the high priest. Go ask the Jewish elders. They'll tell you the same thing. In fact, they gave me letters. I was an agent of the Sanhedrin. I did this on their behalf. I was in. I was committed. I'm just like you, only more so. And then he's going to continue his story in verse 6. As I was on my way with those letters, right, from the high priest, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. To do, excuse me. And since I could not see, because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me, and came into Damascus. Paul says, Guys, I was just like you, only more so. And then I met Jesus. Literally, I met Jesus. Bright light, voice from heaven, the whole bit. And I had heard the story of Jesus before, and I had rejected it. And I heard the story of Jesus again. I heard Stephen, as they were stoning him, say, I see Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And I rejected that, and it offended me as much as it offended everybody else. And I rejected the story that God was telling He said, and God pursued me, and God pursued me, and I rejected him over and over again. And then God was going to make sure that he got his message through to me because he had a job for me to do. God was going to make sure that he got into my head what the truth was. And you know what he said to me? He said, Paul, you missed it. You missed it. It was Jesus the whole time. It was Jesus. Verse 12, he continues... And, and one Ananias, so this is in Damascus, and Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, now listen to what Ananias says, the God of our fathers 
appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Paul says, I was Jewish, really, really Jewish, just like you, zealous for all the things that you're zealous for. So is Ananias, by the way, a Jew in good standing, someone we would all look to and say, yep, he's doing it the right way. And I see this vision and he confirmed it. You just saw the Messiah, Paul. You just saw the Son of God and now you've got to do something about it. Your job is to tell people about what you just saw. That's my job. I've been given an assignment by God. Verse 17, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Then Paul says, He told me this was going to happen. He told me this was going to happen. After all of this happened to me in Damascus, after all of these things had taken place, I came back here to Jerusalem. I came back here to the temple and I prayed, and I planned to share with you everything that I had seen and everything that I had heard, and God told me to leave because you weren't going to believe it. But I fought for you. Do you see that? Paul says, but I, I was on your side. I said, that's impossible. They have to believe me because they know my story. How could they not believe me? They know that I have pursued your people and thrown them in prison and had them killed. They know that I was there when Stephen was stoned to death. How could they not believe? And God said, go. I will send you to the Gentiles. And then look what happens. Verse 22, up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth. For he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. I find a couple of things interesting about this account. Verse 22 tells us that up until this word, they listened. They were listening to Paul's story and his defense. He had them because he has all of these credentials that they understand and they get. They understand Paul's story. Up until this point, they were tracking with him. And do you see, he's making a very good defense against their specific accusations. He said, you said I'm teaching against the Jewish people, but I'm a Jew. I'm more Jewish than you are, if that's possible. And I'm defending you. I'm not teaching against the Jewish people. He said, you say I'm teaching against the law, but I know all about the law. I was taught by Gamaliel followed the law all my life. You say I'm teaching against the temple, but look what happened to me. After my conversion in Damascus, where did I go? To the temple to pray. Your accusations don't hold water. So he's defending himself. Up until this word they listened. What was the word? Gentiles. This is surprising to me. 
as I read this because I would have thought the word would have been Jesus. When he shares his testimony and he says, I looked up into heaven and I saw Jesus, then I thought they would freak out. But that's not what they freak out about. It's when he says, Gentiles. Why is that? Why is that such a big deal? Because Paul has just said that God has put the Gentiles on equal footing with the Jews. Paul has just said that the message of salvation is about to go out and has already gone out to those who are not Jewish and do not follow the law and do not have the temple. And if you're a devout Jew, this is unthinkable. This is like a complete desertion of your religion. And there we have that word again, religion. See, they're more hung up on their religion than their God. They can't see past this to see this. Verse 25 says this. So they, the tribune takes Paul in the back. <clears throat> but when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came to him and said, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. And Paul said, I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune was also afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. I think it's funny that they say they were about to examine Paul. That makes it sound like he's about to take a test. When they say they're going to examine Paul, it means they're going to beat him until he tells them what they need to know because they can't get a straight answer out of anybody. And this poor tribune, <laughs> he can't get a straight answer from the Jews. He doesn't, like he finds out that Paul speaks Greek. He's like, well, that's helpful. And then Paul gives his whole defense in Hebrew. So he can't understand that. All he knows is everybody wanted to kill Paul. Paul gives a defense and they still want to kill him. So they know something's going on. He just says, let's take him inside and let's beat him until we get a straight story out of the guy. Because I've got to know what's happening. Which is a totally legal procedure. Unless you're a Roman citizen, then it's not okay. And I love Paul. Because he's just so cool under pressure. Or at least that's how I read it. He just says, hey, is it, is it legal for you to beat a Roman citizen? And the guy's like, oh man, you're a Roman citizen? Yes, I'm a Roman citizen. So he runs to the tribune. He's a Roman citizen. And the tribune runs back and says, are you a Roman citizen? And he says, yes, I'm a Roman citizen. And I know it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but that's how many times it's said in there. Six times in five verses it says citizen, which is hard to say a lot. Why is it so important? Why is it such a big deal that Paul is a Roman citizen? Because we see, again, like we have seen so many times through the book of Acts, that God is protecting Paul. We have seen God protect Paul through the government over and over again. This time we see Paul rescued by the Romans from the Jews who want to beat him to death. And then we see Paul rescued from the Romans by Rome because God is preserving Paul for a bigger story. God is preserving Paul for something bigger that he wants to do through Paul. And in this case, he's protecting him from his own people, the people who are supposed to be God's people. What we see in this account in Acts is that the Jews in Jerusalem have hardened their hearts toward God. They have solidified their rejection of Jesus 
which has solidified their rebellion from God. That's the picture that we see here. They're refusing the good thing that God has offered them through Jesus. God has a good thing for them, and they're saying no because they can't see the bigger picture. And God has sent Jesus, and God has sent Peter, and God has sent Paul, and more and more and more, and they're just saying no. You will not move us off this spot no matter what you do. Paul has this like super powerful, really compelling testimony And he's willing to share it, willing to share it whether he's getting beaten, willing to share it even at the risk of his own life. And still, people will not turn and follow Jesus. How is that possible? Paul said the same thing. Lord, how is it possible that they wouldn't believe? They know my story. And I think for us, we look at Paul and we think, okay, if Paul has that story and he can't get people to follow Jesus, what hope do we have? Because I don't have a story that's like that. I just say a couple things to that. One, it's not about your story. It's about God's story. It's God's good thing, and it's His story that we want to tell. So your testimony, to some degree, is irrelevant because God has a great story to tell, whether you feel like you have a great story to tell or not. The second thing is this. You can't make people follow Jesus. You cannot convince them to follow Jesus. You cannot compel them to follow Jesus. Well, how do I know? You can have a light from heaven, a voice from the sky. You can bring a guy back from the dead. And still, they will remain unconvinced if their their hearts are hardened toward the gospel. Paul says it this way in Ephesians. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not a flesh and blood battle. We wrestle against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. That's how Paul phrases it. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul says this is a spiritual battle, and a heart that is hard toward God is a spiritual condition, and the only thing that can affect that is the Holy Spirit. So then what do we do? We're kind of off the hook, I guess. Nothing we can do about it, right? What do we do if that's the case? Depends on who you are. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you haven't put your trust in him, if you maybe don't even understand the story of what God has done for you completely, the question would be, are you rejecting God and is your heart hardened toward him? Because the story of the gospel is God saying, I love you desperately and I need you to hear that. He's saying, I have a good thing to offer you and I need you to see that. I need you to see that that's true. And I will pursue you and I will pursue you and I will pursue you and eventually I will judge. Because that's what it looks like. I will be patient and I will send people to tell you, but eventually I will judge there's a point where nobody gets ice cream, to use our very weak analogy. If you can't see the bigger picture and God says, turn to me and not from me, don't harden your heart toward me, hear my voice and hear my story and know that I love you. And if that's you this morning, we want to talk to you. We want to tell you the story. We want you to know it. We don't want you to leave this place just saying, it's not for me, because that's what the Jewish people did. In our story today, it's not for me. And they said it over and over and over, and eventually nobody gets ice cream. 
Many of you this morning have placed your hope and your trust in Jesus as your Savior. But what do we do? Because if a hardened heart is a spiritual condition, if that's true, and the only way to reach that is through the Holy Spirit, then what can we do? Well, here's what we can do. I'll give you three things. I think you can remember them. We pray. We pray that God would break through hard hearts. We pray that God would do a work in the lives of those who don't know Him. Because we recognize it's not our effort that brings people to Christ. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. So we pray and we're dependent on the Spirit to do His work. So that's the first thing. We pray. Here's the second thing. We feel. We feel compassion for those who don't know Jesus. Our hearts have to break like Paul's where we would say, I don't care what you do with me. I don't care if my eyes swollen shut and my head is bleeding. I need you to hear the story of what God has done because if you don't, you're going to miss out. And everyone else that knows is going to get a good thing and you're going to miss it. So we pray that the Spirit would do His work and we feel compassion for those who don't know Jesus. And then we share the story of what God has done. We share His story, that He loved us enough to pay for our sin, that He took our place on the cross to invite us into His family and say, I'm going to look past all of that because I put it all on my Son, and now you can come in and be with me and live with me forever in my glory because I'm inviting you to be my child. We pray, we feel, and we share. I'll end with this. Here's the question that I have then for you if you're a follower of Jesus. When is the last time you prayed for God to do a work in somebody's heart that doesn't know Him? Can you put in your mind the name of somebody that you have been praying for? And if you can, praise God and don't stop. And if you can't, you better think of somebody and you better start praying. When is the last time your heart broke for somebody who doesn't know Jesus and you mourned over the fact that they don't know your Lord and Savior? When is the last time that compelled you to get on your knees and pray for them? When is the last time that you shared the gospel with somebody, not just invited them to church so that they could hear me say it, or invited them to some church function or said something about Jesus, but actually articulated the gospel to somebody so that they would know the truth of the story that God has for them. When's the last time you did that? I'm not saying this to make everybody feel guilty. I'm just saying God has invited us to participate in the work that He's doing. It is God's job. He will do the work of bringing people to Himself. We can't do it, but He said, you get to be a part of it. You get to participate. And if we don't participate, then we miss out on what God is doing. We don't get to see what He's doing. And if we don't participate, then why are we here? Why are we here? Because this is a lot of work if we're not going to be a part of what God is doing. We say we want to be the followers of God. We want to be His children. That's who we are. That's our identity. That is true. That's who we are as followers of Jesus. And you can rest in that. But as followers of Jesus, this is what we do. We pray. We feel. We share. 
we tell the story of what God has done because we want everyone to get ice cream. Amen? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you've given us such a good thing, and we know it's a good thing. Help us to live like that. We thank you for the example of Paul. We thank you for his testimony. Lord, we thank you that you're the one that brings people to yourself. It's not our job to do that, but we thank you that you've asked us to participate in that, and you invite us into that, because through your church, you want to reach the world. Lord, we want to be that church for you. So help us to be that. Change our hearts, inspire us, put people on our minds, Lord, that we can pray for and reach out to. Pray this in your name. Amen.